0: All right, welcome everybody. Uh, we are joined today uh, by Robbie and Artie. Um, Artie, you probably know from uh, the mess we're in, uh, what he does with uh, Glinner and Helen Staniland—a great show over there. And then uh, we ha- also have Robbie with us today, um, famously three cat pileup on Twitter. Um, brilliant tweeter, very fun. So uh, we're going to talk today about uh, the two of them, both uh, gay men. Uh, had experiences with childhood gender dysphoria to varying degrees, and could possibly have been on a transition track if they were children today. Um, So we're gonna talk about uh, that experience and uh, yeah, whatever else comes up. So welcome gentlemen, thank you. Thank
1: you for having us.
0: Yeah, Aaron,
2: American Aaron, I shall call you. We've met before. Canadian yeah, a couple have times. Not met, so it's nice no.
3: I've you, nice to meet you. I've been following you on on Twitter and watched some of your videos, so I definitely oh, know okay. who you are. and Have for a <laughs> while. <laughs> but, uh, we've been looking forward to this conversation. Um, you know, last time we had a conversation with with Lauren from Ireland, who talked about her experience as a as a butch lesbian with gender dysphoria. So we've been excited to to have this conversation with you fellows about what that looks like from a gay male perspective.
2: Mm, scary times right now, isn't it? With uh, I just feel like the protocol that's coming out now, this rapid confirmation—it's even beyond affirmation—to me seems um, egregious and scary and uh, outright hostile to the development of kids who would very likely devo- develop just to be ordinary gays and lesbians, if you ask me.
0: Yeah, I was listening to uh, the, um, uh, the the the. Uh... Gender A Wider Lens episode with, um, uh, they're talking about social transition. Uh, this is kind of a sidestep, but when you say confirmation, it reminds me of what they were, I think it was uh, Sasha who was talking about how, um, well, it reminded me of what Aaron is uh, frequently saying is like, what does even watchful waiting look like? That used to be the protocol. Um, and now with how, you know, uh, gender affirmation is pushed so strongly. But yeah, Stella made a good point. That it's like, it's not sorry, Sasha made a good point that it's not even, um, you know, affirmation It's it's confirmation. It's basically cementing the idea of you are trans, you will transition uh, in these kids' heads, so making making watchful waiting impossible.
2: Yeah, that's what I got it from, was from that episode. I thought that was one of the very best ones, and already one of the very best podcasts around this whole issue. Yeah, she put it so well, she said, affirmation is like, I affirm your feelings, and I affirm that you're feeling this way. Confirmation is like, yep, you're trans, you're really the opposite sex, and that's just how it is. And that's, yeah, I just find that I mean, this is a brand new thing that I don't think has ever existed in the world. You know, in, in other cultures around the world, there are third gender categories for small subsets of people. But this seems to be something entirely different and something brand new, you
0: know? Yep. 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 It's not a normal state of human affairs whatsoever. <laughs> That's right. Yeah,
3: there, there was a time when I understood gender dysphoria as um, a gay and lesbian experience um, because I had met enough, you know, well for in my life more mostly butch lesbians who described mm-hmm. back then it was called gender identity disorder and and those women are not trans and and most of them haven't to my knowledge haven't transitioned i've lost touch with a lot of them but for many many years i mean i transitioned in my early 30s and so i lived quite a few years um as a lesbian in the lesbian community and having interacted with so many gay and, and lesbians that adhering their experiences of of gender dysphoria that's until i kind of was captured by this idea that that when you have those feelings you are a trans person i i just had integrated my experience into a lesbian identity um so it seems to be it's a new thing right to and i remember really clearly when that happened i mean it was I def- I've experienced a lot of homophobia in my life, just given the social context that I was in. I grew up in a very small religious farming community. Um, first thing my dad said to me when I decided to transition was, Well, that's better than the gay thing. I don't know why you don't all do that. Right. So, so that's kind of the context in which I lived. And, um, and I was at a very vulnerable point in my life when I saw a documentary on TV that about trans kids. And this was. You know, really, I about 2006, roughly, and wow. a gay ma- a gay man in Vancouver um, two years prior to that was was very viciously publicly um, murdered, and that weighed heavily on our entire community in Vancouver. And um, they went to st- a couple of guys from the suburbs came into Vancouver to Stanley Park because that's known as a, a gay cruising spot, and yeah, they well, yeah. they came into Vancouver with the intent. Uh, I don't know if they intended to to kill a gay man, but they definitely came into Vancouver with the intent of of beating up a gay man, and they found Aaron Webster in Stanley Park at night and and beat him to death. Um, the community response to that was <clears throat> very emotional and and overwhelming, and that was even two years later. That was still weighing heavily on me as a very um, androgynous or masculine presenting female. Um, it, there were times in my life where it didn't—it didn't feel safe to go through the world as as a gender nonconforming lesbian, and I do think that factored into my transition. You know, so when I saw this documentary about trans kids, I was in that state of emotional vulnerability that the documentary presented this to us as if you have these feelings of cross-sex identification, it meant you are a trans person, and I think because of just where my head was at at the time, it very instantly flipped my whole identity. And I really believed, okay, well, I guess, you know, this sounds credible, you know, doctors are saying this, teachers are saying this, like people are saying this, it seems credible that I guess I'm not a lesbian after all, I guess I'm a trans person. Um, Well, that's
2: key that you're not just saying you are trans, but you're saying you are not a lesbian. You're no longer a homosexual. Wow.
1: Well, and it's interesting that you say that Canadian, Aaron, um, because I've been thinking about my own childhood and not to jump the gun on the subject of this conversation, but thinking about what I now consider gender dysphoria that I experienced at the time, I really didn't have, and it's weird to think about it now because it's so prominent in our sort of cultural moment. But then I don't think I even really knew that being transgender, whatever that means, was an option. Like, I think the first time I encountered the concept was that movie Boys Don't Cry with Hilary Swank. Do you recall mm-hmm. that? And yeah. and I'm I'm basically just working backwards 20 years of memory because I haven't seen that film since then. But I don't think they talked about, I don't think the word transgender came up in that film. I think it was just, are you a boy? Are you not a boy? You know, and and, and that was my first, that, that was sort of the first time I saw in major public media the idea of someone, gender non-conforming to such an extent that they emulate the opposite sex. But as a kid, like, I wanted to be a girl. I didn't like being a boy. And that's just what it was. I did like, there, there, there was no category or framework to plug that into and say, ah, must be this thing. Mm-hmm. It was just, boys are dumb and girls are cool. <laughs>
2: I still agree with that sentiment. <laughs> yeah, I do
1: too. No,
2: no doubt. <laughs> no, I think I agree completely. It was a similar thing for me. There was no context around that. And I always think, so I had some, I wanted to be a girl. I didn't want to be a boy. But the only context I had available to that was that I resented the fact that I was a boy. It wasn't optional for me to declare that I was a girl. You know, we weren't that kind of household. It wasn't that kind of world. Um, So I wonder if I had been, you know, if if a parallel universe emerged where trans was available as an option, I'm almost certain I would have grabbed at it and not let go. I also had a lot of distress and, you know, there was a lot of abuse in my childhood, and I was looking to escape myself. I think that can be a big factor for people who want to transition too, as they're trying to get away from you know, they're looking for a new identity to escape their demons, essentially. But yeah, I wanted to be a girl, didn't want to be a boy, didn't like being a boy. I was very, very feminine from a really, really early age. i ex- I exhibited all the typical behaviors of a very, very girly boy, <laughs> emulating girls, gravitating towards stereotypically girly toys, and just immediately seeing women as role models more than men. Um, but it it just kind of, yeah, so it, it, this this distressed me throughout my whole childhood, but I never saw it as an option to become transgender. And then puberty happened, and I just completely forgot about it. Like, I just literally, you know, once your sex drive kicks in, you you that's all you're thinking about. You're not thinking about your own identity anymore or your own sex. You're thinking about other people's sex. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think that is a really interesting uh, uh, difference between male and female puberty is like you guys have this immediate like like sex just becomes everything whereas uh, female puberty doesn't do that. <laughs> it doesn't, uh, you, your body starts developing but the sexual feelings are well, well behind it and so are like are long, are, are, are a ways off anyway. Um, so mm-hmm. it can be quite a traumatic experience and that can intensify the dysphoria whereas mm-hmm. I think on the male end of it it can basically eradicate it because it's like, you know, Who gives a fuck? Look at how hot these people are, you know? uh,
2: uh, It goes (laughs) a different direction. Yeah, because if you are sort of your powerful sexual urges aren't developing yet, but your body is developing sexually, you're going to receive sexual attention that you just must be deeply uncomfortable with, I can imagine.
3: Yeah. And girls usually reach puberty before the boys, too. And and Mm -hmm. so in especially and it does seem to be a pattern that for a lot of um, trans guys, having gynecological problems or early puberty seems to be a correlation um so i think you know that unwanted your body develops and that unwanted sexual attention at an age where you're not ready for it i think is a factor for for a lot of girls
2: yeah what about
3: you you know i
2: like when you got over it
1: well that's what i was going to say i it's funny that you say puberty changed it for you because I think it did for me too, but in a different way. It's not that it diminished. It's that I did find a framework to kind of slot my distress into. Um so you know, when I was a kid, i uh, when I came to the realization that I was gay and kind of grappled with that, my recurring thought was, oh, gay men are, you know, the attractive uh, models of queer as folk or, Um, you know, like that kind of thing. And so I I very early on accepted that I was too ugly to be gay, which is very sad sounding now. And if I could time travel and uh, comfort some sense into young Robbie, I would. But at the time, puberty turned my sort of social dysphoria into really intense body dysmorphia. And so uh, in high school, I was frankly anorexic. Um, you know, I've I ultimately lost, I think, 125 pounds. I was six foot one, and my lowest weight was like 155. So I was quite quite scrawny. Um, and I part of part of what makes me so worried for kids like me is that uh, I don't know if you had any run-ins with the sort of quote-unquote pro-anorexia online communities of the late 90s, early aughts. Um, But it's very similar to some of, like, if you go to any of the trans with too many A's in it style subreddits, um, it's the same kind of echo chamber. It's the same kind of sort of secretive reinforcement of, of persistent thoughts and so for me i i became focused on losing weight and getting my body to look like what i had decided a gay man was supposed to look like which is sad and tragic in its own way and it ended up being fine i went to college and met my husband and all is well now but but then it you know i, I really did experience around the age of puberty a shift from uh i don't fit in with boys to oh, I'm physically not what I need to be to fit in with the kind of boy that I'm supposed to be.
2: Hmm. Wow, okay. So much of that in the gay male community, there's just so much. And the media reinforces that. You just see these beautiful Adonises who are gay men, you know, all the time. And I always felt the same way, too, that I was never good-looking enough. And I look back at, like, pictures of myself when I was young, and I'm like, I had no idea. I was really cute. You know, I, Oh my God, I was ugly. Tell me about it.
0: (laughs) Do you ever see
1: those, there are those memes on Twitter where it's like, if you could go back in time and tell your younger self three words, what would they be? My three words are always have more sex. Like, you can do it. You look great. There's nothing wrong with you. You're cool.
2: Yeah, especially too, I was very afraid of, uh, uh, of casual sex. I really mm-hmm. needed extreme comfort, and that's just so rare among gay men. They want to, you know, they'll have sex with you before they get to know your name, you know? It's like a handshake. It's like, you know they'll they'll have sex with you. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, um, I
1: don't want to derail too much, but I'm curious already yeah. if you've noticed what I've noticed, which is that in gender-critical gay male mm-hmm. spaces, like I sort of wonder sometimes if we drive the the rad femmes and lesbians crazy because we're constantly flirting with each other. <laughs> like like I, I just imagine, you know, like Helen Joyce or whatever, scrolling through her feed and seeing, you know, four or five of us you know, going off long threads about, you know, innuendo. Mm-hmm. Being like, uh Jesus <laughs> Christ, these homosexuals. Uh,
2: I don't know. I, they probably don't mind it. They probably just think it's just silly boys being silly and constantly being horny. You
1: know, the usual. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it should it should not surprise feminists that men are inveterate horndogs. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's true. But to go back to the, 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 the body image thing, that came to me much later. I I settled into a long-term relationship really early on. I was in my early 20s, and I didn't come out of it until my late 30s. And going back into the gay village as a much older man with a receding hairline, and a you know um, a few extra pounds, <laughs> it was like oh I'm, this is I'm not getting the attention I thought I was getting I, I would be getting and it and I realized that there's just so much more competition to start going back to gay bars how everybody just works out constantly and they're all taking you know testosterone which I have been taking too because of all the body issues that I've developed <coughs> as an adult gay man I know this is a bit we can get back to the gender dysphoria stuff, but the gay, but just being a gay man is difficult, no matter what. E- even now, even if you're, um, you know, if you've sort of developed into a more gender-typical uh, presentation kind of person, like, I don't think my hyper-feminine demeanor and behavior as a child has kind of dissipated a little bit. I'm, a, I'm still pretty feminine, but I think I'm kind of typically masculine in a lot of ways, too. Maybe that's the T. don't know, but... Uh, yeah, uh, there's just problems always in the gay community. There's a lot of emotional issues. It's not an easy thing, and that starts right from childhood, where we're suffering from all these uh, issues around uh, <laughs> the fact that we are invariably many of us are very gender atypical. Even the ones who develop into like macho buff, you know, big strong, you know, muscle men, gay guys, they probably were very feminine boys, and they probably have a lot of trauma that they're they're working through, you know.
3: I don't remember and i'm i'm as guilty of this as anybody i don't remember having a lot of conversations just really honest open authentic conversations um in the gay and lesbian community over the years um i mean yeah with some close friends for sure but i think because life is hard and people are traumatized when the weekend comes people want to party they want to have fun they want to forget how hard the rest of their week had had been and Mm. And they don't, so they don't want to really necessarily talk and un, unpack about that was a hard week. I experienced this homophobia, and it, you know, so I'm I'm really um, enjoying and and welcoming these kinds of conversations, which I regret um, and apologize for not having more of those conversations in the gay, lesbian community for many years. That you know, well, the, the, the deeper, you're starting to. yeah.
2: Well, even you know, you said you said this more than once, Aaron, uh, Canadian Aaron. Um, about sort of gender dysphoria being an experience that is connected to the lesbian and gay community. And it's almost like, and to some degree, even transitioning and becoming a trans man is almost like uh, an expression of of lesbianhood, perhaps to some degree. Do you think some people see that, that that way? I think a lot of people who transition still hang out with bisexual and lesbian and NB communities, right?
3: I mean, it's been repackaged as queer yeah so i don't know uh, i i mean I, I certainly remember when i first transitioned like 15 years ago the trans men and, and the butch lesbians were still kind of hanging out and there was there was some tension there between the two because you know butch just sort of resented the the trans men for for abandoning them and
2: yeah the and the,
3: the trans men were kind of yeah. having trouble figuring out okay am i am i a man am i a woman like so there was definitely some social tension there but but we're still in community together but something's happened to, to, tra- to the trans community over the last 15 years like I, I've been sort of testing that a little bit and I was on a forum I've been on the same, this one forum for trans men it was older trans men around my age age 40 and over so I thought a lot of these trans men probably transitioned later in life as I did a lot of them probably lived a part of their life as a lesbian like I did so I thought well maybe this is just something, this ideological capture, maybe that's just something that's happening to the younger ones. Maybe it's not happening so much to the older ones. So I tested them a little bit and said something about, do you ever feel like your politics are in conflict? You know, like the trans politics are in conflict with your, you know, feminist, you know, your feminist politics or your gay and lesbian politics. And I gave the example of um, women's prisons and that, how women are being assaulted and and raped in in women's prisons. And their reaction was, you're a turf, you're a bigot, and I was kicked out of the forum with no discussion. Wow, so it's it, something has happened to this community because I think I think 15 years ago it wasn't that hard to find some trans men who are willing to still kind of talk about their life as a dyke. And I certainly have some trans men in in my close inner circle that are able to have that conversation um but the community as a whole something has happened like psychologically where they're captured to the degree that they can't even they've got this huge blind spot to to large aspects of reality and and that that concerns me
2: yeah it's strange isn't it like um you know the two most popular television shows for one for gay men and one for gay women the most popular television show for gay men is ruPaul's drag race and now there's there's all this pressure to bring trans women into the show and it's like if trans women are a subset of women and not a subset of gay men why are there's an there's, a, there's an implicit acknowledgment that we're talking about you know members of the gay male community once we're saying that trans women should be on a show for gay men Right, So there's a tension there, because you're not allowed to say it, but it's tacitly there. you know. And the same thing with the L word, which has this rebrand, the L word, Generation Q, and everybody's non-binary um, and trans, and it's like, but it's still called the L word. Uh, I mean, that L is right there. <laughs> you know? So there's something going on. It stands
1: on. for love, Artie.
0: Love is love. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But I'm not saying that trans men are all lesbians, and I'm not saying that trans women are all gay men, but there was a connection there. There was a connection, yeah. you know, the the trans bars, I worked at a trans bar in the 90s, it was in the gay district, you know. Of course it was in the gay district, where else would it be? Um, yeah. Well, because it used to now. be
0: the gay, it seems like, um, like Aaron was saying, that the gender dysphoria, um, you know, was kind of a part of the 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 gay and lesbian experience to a large extent and I wonder how much of that was unspoken though at the time before there was this branding of the diagnosis of gender dysphoria and so but so even if that experience was there you know then transition uh, as kind of a fringe thing but it is still an extension of the gay and lesbian experience mm-hmm. and the gay and lesbian community but now it almost seems like it's more being being externally imposed by people who didn't, don't have, weren't homosexual to start with transitioning and then ramming their way in. Like you must yeah. now include us. Um, is it, it, I think it, it ha- that's where it, 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 you're damned if you do damned, if you don't, because it's coming in all directions. Um, I just keep going when you're talking about the, 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 the um, <laughs> the trans women being, uh, insistent on be, being included in, uh, Drag Race, which is just, it's just so ridiculous on every account. It makes me think of that, that, uh, uh, <laughs> uh the, what's it, the, the family guy, uh, f- famous little cartoon, you know, scene where the, those trans woman's at the bar looking at <laughs> porn and it's like, you know, oh, it, it's okay. I'm trans. Oh, okay. in, in that case, you know, do what you want forever, <laughs> whatever you want forever. But that, that's the case. It's like, you just throw in trans and it's like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We all bow down whichever direction you're pushing that in. It's still like, you just get your way. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I wonder if the word queer is kind of covers up a lot of uh, the, the issues around people who were lesbians who are now identifying as trans men, who still want to remain part of the community but don't want to acknowledge, you know, that they're same sex attracted females. And then you've got people who were not lesbians at all who maybe transitioned at a very young age. Um, so that word queer is this cap, is this, this basin that helps cover up a lot of these issues that maybe need to be sussed out and nuanced a bit more.
1: Yeah, well, I think with all of this stuff, what I, um, and <clears throat> you'll see this arguing with people online, which is what I spend way too much time doing. But, uh, you know, the, the question of, are we creating categories with language? Or are we using language to give labels to something that we have discovered? You know, the invention versus discovery thing, I think people get hung up on. So, you know, when we talk about femaleness or maleness or biological sex i think that that is an actual thing in the world that we have discovered and we have created labels to describe it similarly homosexuality is a thing and we've created labels to describe it and obviously there's some room to negotiate the boundaries of those labels but nonetheless if you can't acknowledge that there is some kind of a thing separate from your subjective experience it's fairly impossible. You know, it leads you to the queer rabbit hole where, you know, she's queer because she wears rainbow suspenders and dates a guy with long hair, you know, like there, there are, there is something out there. And I think that's what you, what you mean when you say that queer can subsume a lot of the actual individual issues or circumstances. I don't know if if all of you are familiar with Lisa Marciano. She's a Jungian psychotherapist. She was on a podcast, Forever ago, and said something that has just like wedged its way into my brain, which is that um, when it comes to mental illness or disorders or categories of identity, um, if there's no biomarker, if there's no way to test, like, do you have this chemical in your blood? If it's if it's not that, then it has to be socially constructed. Mm. So when we so and her example was depression in the United States. A lot of things that count as depression by sort of typical U.S. clinician uh, diagnostic standards would not in, say, Japan. Japan has a different culture, and so they have a different idea of what feelings are normal and what feelings might be categorized as depressed. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's so true, and it's true of everything, which is why when I look back on my childhood and see that that there was no framework to, to plug these feelings into... And so I didn't, you know, but if I had the category of trans uh that gives you an easy sort of narrative explanation for a whole variety of things
0: mm-hmm. exactly, mm-hmm. yeah, like I was a- <clears throat> I was gonna say like I had um you know obviously going growing up gender dysphoria all my life where I was like i, I felt like i should have been a boy i just felt like these are weird feelings kind of shameful feelings i didn't talk about it much um but then but then as i you know encountered when i encountered that diagnosis at like 26 or 27 it's like oh that's what i have and this is what i need to do to fix it um so so you know for all our human history we've had these kind of human experiences <clears throat> that you know, you know either either some people can relate to others can't um but we you know now in so many ways we're also impo- imposing these categories on the larger culture um i think what's that book called um crazy like us where we're we're taking these um these kind of uh, american concepts of eating disorders yeah, and and yeah. certain mental health conditions and and kind of where it is it's a very culturally constructed explanation for just human feelings um and then and then we're just you know um press, you know, putting those those categories on on a various, yeah a bunch of experiences, it is kind of um comfort, comforting in certain ways. It's like, Oh, I feel this way, because I have this thing. And I think that's why it has so much appeal. But especially, you know, when when we're in a, in a society that can capitalize on these experiences on these feelings, and market, you know, pharmaceuticals in that direction, you know, that that gives it, um, you know, a, a, a capitalistic appeal. Well, and just just Briefly,
1: I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think, as with everything, it's trade-offs. So, you know, I consider myself to have, uh, what do they call it, generalized anxiety disorder. Uh, I take meds for it, and it is great. So whatever whatever social categorization we created around anxiety that lets me take a pill and feel better, uh, sold. I'm all about it. But if somebody said, maybe we should rethink uh, what we consider anxiety and maybe we should look at really specific um, biological you know look at the medical data that we have around brain chemistry you know that kind of stuff i would not say you know uh suggest that they should be lynched in the street for undermining my anxiety identity you know <laughs> i think right i i think and similarly with gender dysphoria i'm entirely open to the possibility that medical transition is maybe the best we've got for some types of that hell if i know but i know that we won't know if people can't question it
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. something to be said about you know there's sensitivity around the question of whether transitioning is necessarily an optimal outcome or not I think absolutely, for some people, it's the it's decision they made because of the circumstances they were in in society and the circumstances in their personal lives, and it benefited them greatly, and they're much happier with it. But, I know, there's two big asterisks there. What if society was better, <laughs> and what if right. circumstances were better? Wouldn't you not have needed to transition necessarily? And wouldn't that have been a more optimal outcome? Less people needing to transition because the circumstances of their individual lives aren't putting all this pressure on their natural biological sex, you know, mm-hmm. on their discomfort within their natural biological sex. But we can't really talk about it that way because that can be upsetting to people who have transitioned to say that, you know, you know, and I think that also means we're looking at reducing the number of people who have transitioned rather than enlarging the number of people who have transitioned, you know. If we're saying it's not optimal to transition, we're saying the less people who transition the better, and that can make people who have transitioned perhaps feel isolated and lonely when they're already very isolated because it's already a pretty rare I mean it's getting rarer less rare every day you know what I mean so there's I think perhaps there's a tension there we're talking about something that ideally would happen you know perhaps never you know Uh, but now we're saying no ideally it'll happen whenever we want on demand even for children which I think is like well we're talking about severe interventions on human bodies and we're talking about very imperfect medicine and very imperfect science here with lots and lots of side effects. If this was like Star Trek, The Next Generation, and you could just press a button on the transporter and transform your body into another biological sex, sure, why the hell not? Who cares? But we're not like that. This isn't magic, you know, this is medical intervention and it's serious. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you
3: know yeah, and the amount of, of trauma and the amount of times I've seen it go horribly wrong, you know, and the, and the trans community doesn't really necessarily want to talk about those pieces, right? They're painful. Um, and there's there's sort of this unspoken rule in the trans community that you don't want to draw attention to those negative things because you don't want to ruin it for someone else. Like maybe, mm-hmm. sure, maybe 100 people had botched surgeries, but what about that one, you know, where it went really well and he's really happy? And so, so mm-hmm. there's this there's this loyalty to the community. You know, thinking that well, it's benefiting somebody, and I don't want to ruin it for the people that it's benefiting. Yeah, but 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 we don't but we don't even know like okay, but how many bot surgeries were there? Right, like what is the ratio here? Keeping a secret,
2: and people within their own community have to keep their own sorrows secret, and that's so tragic. I was at a funeral. I had a friend who uh, had a who was an autogonophilic male who transitioned, did not work out, ended up drinking themselves to death, and the funeral. uh, or the the sort of memorial service that I was at at a gay bar for this person all these trans people were there and it was just a celebration of transness and I was like but everybody privately was saying the bottom surgery is what made him kill himself you know (laughs) the transition did not work and he was nothing but affirmed I'm I'm using male pronouns because this is somebody who died because they tried to transition and it did not alleviate their dysphoria and it made them literally kill themselves and everybody's sitting there saying isn't it great trans is wonderful and I'm like do you not realize where we are right this second you know <laughs> we're yeah. at a funeral
3: <laughs> for someone who yeah. died because of this yeah so sad and and yet and, and it's and that's not rare because i think most of us can that have been doing this for for a while can can think of at least one person that where that's been the case so it's not like that's some rare you know one in a million occurrence mm-hmm. i wanted to pick up a thread um robbie that you were you were mentioning about how we have an experience and then attaching meaning to that experience and how different cultures sort of have different different narratives for similar for similar feelings. Um, I think that's that's I think that really hit the nail on the head for 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 my transition anyway. Like because I had an experience, I, I didn't grow up in an environment where I had access to a gay and lesbian community. So the experience remained just very confusing for me for many years. Um, that experience wasn't talked about openly in the gay and lesbian community. I mean, I heard some butch lesbians sort of talk about it, but it still wasn't talked about openly. I've pieced a lot of this together in hindsight. So I think I was looking for meaning. I was looking for a way of how do I make sense of this experience and and how do I fit into society with that experience? Had somebody explained to me with a lot of clarity, this is something that lot, that quite a few lesbians and gay people ex Feel this cross-sex identification and 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 help me to make sense of it because that's what I was really looking for. I think is is a way a, a framework to make sense of it and a, and one that still allowed a place for me in society because in my little town it was like growing up on the set of Little House on the Prairie. Like there was zero You're Mennonite by chance. I'm not Mennonite, but I grew up in a Mennonite community, okay. so there was zero zero plot line for someone like me. There, you know, like there was a gay one other gay kid that I was aware of. I didn't really know him. He was quite a bit younger than me, but you know, um, as far as I know, he he was kind of forced out of the church. And so that was my only frame of reference. Um, so I certainly didn't at that time know that a how to fit in the world as as a lesbian and and a very mas innately masculine lesbian. And so the trans narrative was appealing to me, right? It, at least it gave me a, a framework and and then, Addie and my just feeling unsafe because of that murder and things that were happening in the community at the time, it gave me meaning. It gave me like a narrative that made sense of my experience. But it also gave me a way of being in the world that felt safer. I mean, I fit better into my family. I rather than sitting in that in that gray zone where no one really knew are you male? are you female? like it, it just sort of tipped me tip the scale i I now present more masculine i can go out and walk down the street no one no one gives me a hard time and
2: yeah um, well you're very gender you you present like a very typical male so you would go from being on the far uh the sort of tail end of the bell curve of female uh gender expression if you were a female you know mm -hmm. you'd be very atypical in the you know but when now that you've transitioned, you present as a just completely dead center, middle of the road, typical guy. <laughs> so I can imagine yeah. that would have tremendous relief. Being an outsider, an outlier, to being an absolutely average, you know? Yeah.
3: yeah. So I don't, in that sense, I mean, yes, my transition served a purpose and made life easier for me. But I can't ignore the fact that it's easier because of homophobia. And so I don't want to. I don't want to neglect that project, right? I mean, because I do think I I could have resolved this successfully. A, like like I said, if I felt connected um, to gay and, uh, the gay and lesbian community from an early age, felt nurtured in that, had role models, and it was safe to be in the world as a gender nonconforming gay or lesbian person, that would have served the same purpose for me as transitioning, and I wouldn't have had to have all the surgeries. I wouldn't have had to. Um, shorten my lifespan because of the hormones, right? So mm-hmm. I don't want to neglect that piece of it. And but I feel like the the kids today, they're they're completely missing that step of of trying on, well, can I make this work for me as a gay or lesbian mm-hmm. person, right? and 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 resolve these feelings and develop a healthy identity that incorporates gender dysphoria into it as a lot of gay and lesbian people do. They're completely skipping that step because no one's giving them that information.
2: Mm-hmm. It's a visceral fear that I, I certainly have that this is just a complete undermining of the project of building equal rights for homosexuals and building a place for gender nonconforming gays and lesbians in society, you know, and, and carving out egalitarian homosexuality and egalitarian gender nonconformity as a project to build into society. Instead, we're just dismantling that and saying, no, let's just fix the bodies instead, uh, wholesale, en masse. Whereas instead there was a mix of the two. Some people, yes, you would, because society's never going to be perfect, some people they're going to opt to transition, and that's perfectly okay if as long as they're adults, as long as they work out reasonably well that this is the best decision for them, you know, and this is the optimal one for them because of their circumstances. But now it's just like, yeah, anybody who's even remotely gender nonconforming is just like you must be trans. And this is just completely undermining the project. Of egalitarian homosexuality the idea that it doesn't matter how feminine or masculine you are or how male or whether you're male or female or what sex uh, of people you have sex with you know everything is okay that that's all going away now you know yeah it's, it's it just gives me a visceral fear yeah
3: yeah it's upsetting that I feel like over the last 15 20 years we've really neglected um, Civil rights of gay and lesbian people. Like we've we've really let that slide as, as we're transitioning more and more people and affirming more people to be trans. Gay and lesbian rights have slid backwards over that yeah. that time period. You know, I mean, the the lesbian bar with where I used to hang out as a young person no longer exists. It was the longest running lesbian club in North America, and it's it's gone. I mean, all those spaces are gone, and and in a lot of places, it's illegal for for gay men or, or lesbians to have spaces just for gay men or lesbians and so we've completely gone backwards and um and yeah that's just so i mean that's I, i'm coming out and talking about this stuff for for multiple reasons and that's certainly one of them is is we need to do something about homophobia and we need to do something for these kids
2: yeah, the kids especially, because uh, you can't assume that a gender nonconforming child is going to be gay. But there's just rock solid evidence that if you're extremely gender nonconforming and exhibiting distress about it, there's a high likelihood that you are same sex attracted. You know, um, and I think that's a factor in a lot of parents choosing to at, at really young ages to, to decide that their kids are trans. There's almost an in- implicit assumption, like if you have a little boy and you decide that your little boy is really a little girl and you're going to transition them. Implicit in that is that you know that little boy is going to grow up into a girl who's going to be having sex with men, you know? Because it's like you wouldn't want to make your child into a lesbian, necessarily, you know? You're, you're saying you're taking a gay boy and making him a straight girl. And it's implicit in the sex change surgery, too. The language on the brochures, they talk about things like sufficiently deep and functional for childhood vaginoplasty like, sufficiently deep for sexual penetration is what they're talking about. This is all about, we know this is a male who's going to be having intercourse with another male. We want to make it superficially resemble heterosexual intercourse. You know, this is not spoken up publicly, uh-huh. but when you really get down to the brass tacks and you look at what's going on, that is what's going on. You know? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, at least part of it. I,
1: I also think, you know, the the phrase that gets uh, bandied about for good reason with when it comes to children, I think of the horrific interview with Kai Shapley's mother in, I think it was Good Housekeeping, ironically, mm-hmm. um, where <laughs> she said, it, you know, things like, we we just couldn't accept that this kid was gay and and, you know, we would try to punish him for doing girly things. And those are cases where I think you're exactly right. I think that there's an unspoken degree of homophobia. But I think there are other cases with these parents where uh, you know, some some folks say it's Munchausen by proxy. I think it's actually a little bit more innocuous than that. It's almost like church going or like uh, other other forms of performative virtue. Like you know, if if you're the right kind of family and you're you're good and right minded, when when your daughter tells you that she wants to wear pants and be a boy and have a short haircut, the right thing to do is to you know put her on the gender conveyor belt. And so then you post about it on Facebook and your local newspaper interviews you about how great it is. Um, And, you know, I I don't think it's it's um, some kind of sort of malicious condition like Munchausen. I think it's I think it's just playing along with the story of what is what it is to be a good and virtuous liberal parent.
2: Yeah, it's liberal keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. Uh, and I think it's also yeah. to do with gay is not, gay is not, you're not going to get any kudos for having a gay kid anymore. You know, it used to be if you were on the far left and far progressive, you believed in gay rights. Well that's now a central, it's a centrist position to believe in gay rights. It's not, doesn't mark you as progressive anymore, it marks you as absolutely middle of the road. Yeah. Most people can't cope with the fact that they are now centrists because political landscape has shifted. So they have to update their own politics so that they can maintain their position as more left than everyone else. And the only way to do that now is to be more gay than gay. And what's more gay than gay? Trans. You know? Because it used to be the case that they were the most extremely butch lesbians and the most extremely femme gay men were the ones who transitioned, or at least they were the most visibly recognized ones, because the middle-aged suburban autogonophilic cross-dressers really weren't, you know, they were out in the suburbs. Um, um, So they, they do see it as, like, trans is, like, super gay. Trans is like extra gay, you know. It's like more progressively gay. Uh, so there's an element of that, you know. People don't want to just have a gay kid because that's boring. Even if they don't say that consciously, that's subconsciously what they're saying is I have to do the next thing, the more, <clears> the more <throat> intense thing.
1: Well, it is interesting. Sorry, just real quick that you 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 point out sort of previous. I keep using the word framework, so I apologize, but previous frameworks for understanding these things like. Uh, you know, extreme ends of gender nonconformity. But you mentioned autogynephilic males. And I think that it doesn't get talked about a lot, but they also had their own social framework and it was transvestitism. And, you know, you would read accounts of men who were like, this is a sexual thing for me. I cross-dress, you know, cross-dressing transvestites. Those were, that was an established thing. It was not talked about because it's taboo, but it was a thing. You know, if you look at Eddie Izzard's early comedy, he talked openly about, you know, I'm, uh, you know, these are not executive. these are not women's clothes; they're my clothes. I'm an executive transvestite. Yeah, um, <laughs> but but all of these different sort of narratives have been rolled up into one big ball of the current gender movement. You know, yeah, yeah. It's all been branded and shoved together.
2: Yeah. I do <clears throat> suspect there's a little bit of. I don't want to be too hard on autogynophiles because I think they get a really rough time un- unfairly some of the time, although there are some who are causing a lot of problems. But there is a part of that that pe- I think it seems that a lot of people who have autogynophilia perhaps more prone to be sort of in denial about what's going on and about what's causing the underlying causes of their, their transsexualism. And they're really driving a lot of this. I think there's a real fear that if they're exposed as sexual paraphiles and not naturally gender nonconforming from childhood males, that they their, their shame would be too much to bear. So there's a sense of seeking out children and trying to prove to the world that children can be identified as trans from early enough because <coughs> that means it's something you're born with and it's something innate. Even though they as children almost always were not gender atypical. They did have internal feelings of wanting to be girls from even before puberty. They mm-hmm. did want to wear women's clothes even before puberty, but they had male typical interest and in behavioral traits you know they were aggressive they were rough and tumble they were athletic you know they were you know prone to sort of like engineering type career paths and things like that very male typical stuff not gay these are not figure skaters they're wrestlers you know yeah <laughs> yeah
3: you're right so when they're pointing at the children right they're pointing at. well look at these trans kids what they're they're pointing to kids like us Right? they're not pointing to yeah. kids like who they were as you and say they don't right?
2: want you to know like who they were they don't want you to know that you can't identify an auto based on how feminine the toys they play with are you identify an autogynophile based on what they do when they sneak into their mother's bedroom you know yeah
3: so maybe you know in their minds it would have been in their best interest to transition as children but i don't know that it's in our best interest to chant you know for those of us that were naturally gender nonconforming, and the high likelihood that that just meant that we were gay or lesbian I don't think that's in our best interest. And, and they're, you're right, I think they're, for the most part, in the driver's seat of transactivism. They're the ones pushing for all these poli- policies and you know all these laws and, um, and not factoring in our needs and, and yeah. our voices in this.
2: Yeah, and I tweeted something yesterday. There's this, there was this sort of hypothetical situation that was published in an academic journal about somebody who's going to be taking puberty blockers in perpetuity Have you heard about this? Oh, yes, I did see that. The idea is that if a child just never wants to have any sex characteristics, they can just stay on puberty blockers for the rest of their life. And this is a sort of ethical thought experiment like, well, if that's the case, this is what will happen to their bone density. This is what will happen to X, Y, Z, other side effects from perpetual um, puberty blocker use. But is it still ethical to do it? And of course, the person who wrote this paper is a trans identified male who's like, Well, of course it is. If the child is going to be experiencing distress around sex characteristics, it's perfectly okay to just put them on puberty blockers literally for the rest of their life. And I just thought this is the logical end of pediatric transition. You know, this idea that you're telling children. You're letting children decide what they are going to be as adults. Children can't make these decisions at all. You really, especially for us who are more more often than not, same-sex attracted to develop dysphoria, we really have to try for quite a while, I think, to live our lives as same-sex attracted adults, or at least we should, before we decide that we want to transition, you know? Well. That we can't have, there's no way an 11 year old can say, Oh, I know that the lesbian life isn't for me, I'm gonna to have to live as a trans man. There's just no way, and there's no way well, an s- can say, I know that the gay male life isn't for me, I'm gonna to have to live as a trans woman, and all the medical consequences of that. That's something that really has to be done as an adult,
1: yeah. Well, and specifically with respect to sexual development, because I, I think about informed consent and I understand why, and so for me. The ethical problem of adults transitioning, very simple. If you're an adult, you can do what you want. I don't care. (laughs) Um, With children, it's it's much harder. And I think part of the challenge is, even if you believe that an 11-year-old can make some kind of decision or at least give some kind of input into their health concepts, there is no way for you to ask the question of an 11-year-old, are you okay with the fact that this means you might never experience an orgasm? Because they don't know what that is or what that will mean, there's no way for them to answer that question. So adults have to, unfortunately, think about kind of squicky questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we also know that 80% of them, you know, with the, with puberty, <clears throat> it resolves itself, right? So, so you're taking that option entirely away from them um, <clears throat> at a time when when. Yeah. A, they they don't have the capacity to, to like you're saying, understand what they could potentially be given up, uh, be it, mm-hmm. yeah, sexual pleasure, um, uh, fertility, you know, being parents, taking all that away from them at a time when when they can't make that decision, they can't t- they they have no capacity to consent to such a thing, and when in all likelihood that very act of going through puberty would fix it all anyway. Um, but I always go back to the fact it's like any child who is transitioned. Um, even even if their puberty wouldn't have resolved it, even if they wouldn't have outgrown the feelings of, of gender dysphoria, um, there's no way to know if you've already stepped in and interfered in that process. There's n- there's no way that that's not gonna result. So, so many, all these kids now with growing up and basically like just an existential constant question of was any of this necessary? They'll never know. None of them will ever know. And I don't think any of them will not ask that question. Yeah, so, that's, that's really that's devastating. That's
2: like- like debbie hayton said and we talked about this before uh american aaron and me on mars's channel about you have to this is some if you don't know if you didn't really put yourself through a bit of a gauntlet and put yourself through a rigorous questioning of whether transition is going to be the right decision for you then there's always going to be a lingering doubt i mean i'm speaking (coughs) out of turn because i haven't transitioned but i can imagine this is what many people have said is that you have to really you have to really explore this you have to explore this thoroughly before you decide or that lingering sense of regret can always be there, I can imagine. yeah. Mm-hmm. And resentment, and if it's really done to you as a child. Resentment. Yeah. The idea, I mean, it seems pretty, it's so clear. The, 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 the numbers are stark that puberty resolves most dysphoria. So there's something sinister about let's block them from ever getting puberty. There's mm-hmm. just something like we just want to make more trans people in the world going mm-hmm. on. You know, I just—it feels like trans is beautiful.
0: People.
2: Trans is beautiful. Let's make more of it. You know, uh, instead of like, like, like I was saying before, about it, it's not an optimal outcome. You know, <laughs> it might be a little well, uh, better with less trans people in it. And it I think there's some dangerous, trans, but, yeah,
1: there's some dangerous, uh, just appearance stuff that gets swept up into that. Like the the thing that I would tell people if you're if you doubt that that there are legitimate concerns with this stuff is go to an online space for trans people and just read it Uh, because you'll, you'll see things that will make you go. "Eh." Uh, And and for me, especially on Twitter, I see all of these teenagers who Mm -hmm. have decided that transitioning will turn them into a literal cartoon character. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. Whatever you've uh, like, we don't have, you know, uh, matrix like character creation powers Even if transition ends up being right for you, you're not going to be uh, an anime character.
2: Yeah, you're not Sailor Moon. You're not going to turn into. Yeah, Yeah. you're
1: not. Believe me, I tried.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's turned into a kind of cosplay, hasn't it? Like with the with uh, that's my impression with some of the young young ones in particular, and it's gone beyond just wanting to change sex. I mean, some of them are talking about could I attach a tail, right? Like it, it. if if this is if we're framing this as this is a human rights issue that people have bodily autonomy people should be able to just do whatever they want with their bodies if it makes them happy uh where does that end like because i mean dr crane who did my um metoidioplasty he has been um recorded in interviews saying that he's had patients come to him saying well could you could you attach surgically attach a tail and he said yeah i don't see why not and he has no problem doing that if if that's what somebody wants to do. So that's what the trans movement is, is becoming, you know, is, is this transhumanism or, or a kind of cosplay where we could just imagine a persona or a character and make that surgically happen.
1: Well, and I, I should know, say it, it, the funny stuff is like add a tail or become yeah. a furry or whatever. But I, what I mean is that you'll see it. There was one, um, I believe a transgender I guess girl, I think she was 17 or 18, um, uh, who ended up committing suicide. And, and some of the stuff that she posted online was about how surgeries weren't making her look like she thought they would, you know, she thought she was going to get to be basically an anime character. Mm -hmm. And the reality of medical intervention is that she still looked like herself, (laughs) you know, Mm
3: -hmm. I've seen. i've heard a lot of uh maybe it's similar maybe tied to that is i've heard a, it seems like a lot of um ftms don't imagine that they're going to become men they want to stay boys forever right that's sort of this peter pan syndrome that they want to look and act and feel and be um you know engaged with the world as prepubescent boys forever and become really disappointed and upset when they start to look like men you know i mean i'm i've got a pot belly and i'm going bald and have a beard like uh, you know i'm so when they start especially with the um, the misandry that 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 some of them have from the you know the lesbian community or wherever they're coming from in life that that they it, when they start to look like men um, it, it can be triggering for them that that if they have you know maybe sex based trauma or something, some sort of trauma that involved males, that, that those feelings come up. It's like, well now I now I look like the thing that I'm afraid of or that I that I hate. Mm-hmm. I've seen that pattern over and over and over again And Yeah, that's exactly what community. I thought of
1: when Artie mm-hmm. posted that uh, where did you say that that study was, Artie, about the <clears throat> puberty blocker thing?
2: I don't remember. It's a journal, but it was just a hypothetical. <clears throat> it wasn't a real. Yeah. They, they made it look like right. it was a real it, case of a But it was an
1: ethical life. ethical consideration. But yeah. I, I remember when I was reading it, the thing that I thought about was what about the adults, <clears throat> excuse me, that are, for whatever reason, motivated to have other legal adults retain a prepubescent body? Yeah.
2: That, that just says, like, freaked me know, right out. Every... Paraphilia, there's an inverse paraphilia, right? So for voyeurism, there's exhibitionism. For sadism, there's masochism. For gynophilia, there's autogynophilia. And for pedophilia, there's autopedophilia. And that was brought up at uh, the Tavistock when one of the whistleblowers who quit the Tavistock, one of the clinicians, said, I'm haunted by a case where a father brought his child in and wanted the child to stay on puberty blockers for a really long time. And she just had this deep unease and this this, um, uh, this sense that this was a, a, a pedophile father who was molesting his child and didn't want his child to go through puberty, wanted mm-hmm. his child to stay prepubescent. Uh, and she said she's haunted because she just never followed up on that line of suspicion, Jesus. you know? Mm-hmm. There's something about keeping a, a, a person in a state of childhood forever. Yeah, that, that's, you know, I think when a child wants to do that, I don't think that's a sexual paraphilia. I think no, think fear no. of growing up and fear exactly. of developing sexually and perhaps having mm-hmm. trauma. Uh, But, yeah, when there are guardians, like you're saying, who are pushing that and pushing that along, you know, look at the Chalinor saga, these are people who are, this is an entire community of very disturbed people who are doing very disturbed things with children. They would easily convince, you know, an autistic child to stay on puberty blockers for the rest of their life. you know? Yeah. And that's where that's I ran into.
3: <laughs> it is dark, and it's where I ran into problems as as a clinician because I was for a short period of time doing hormone readiness assessments and supporting our physicians um, in to do trans care. And um, given all of the stories I've heard in the trans community about different motivations for transitioning, and and just seeing that kind of play out in the community. Um, you had some of these youth come in and you just sense some of those things like you're describing, right? You just sense that something's not quite right and, and that they're not necessarily doing this for um, a noble reason. And but in the age of affirmation, where I got into trouble was the accusation of gatekeeping, you know, to to try to sit with these youth and really understand their stories and understand what's going on for them, that that I was accused of gatekeeping, and then that somehow this like heinous hateful crime against the trans community but so i just i can't do the work then like if 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 i'm going to be kind of forced by activists to just rubber stamp everyone that comes through the clinics and and transition them i don't feel that's ethical practice given some of the harms that i see that's doing
2: yeah gosh it's crazy how did this happen how did we get to the gatekeeping is bad you would think uh, even not that long ago, I would imagine a lot of trans activists would have been trying to say no, we want to distinguish ourselves from people who falsely believe that they're trans or from people who are just, you know, you know, they would want to make a hard line and a distinction between like a, you know, I use the term genuine sympathetic trans person and someone who's, you know, falsely or incorrectly or, you know, or misguidedly uh, falling into this they would want to distinguish that um, that just seems to be gone now and that's crazy wow. because when gatekeeping happened a lot of people got gate kept the gatekeeping <laughs> kept people out It's not like they were gatekeeping and there was no point in all of this because everybody ended up getting through Going through anyways and happily transition the gatekeeping kept out pedophiles You know there was a study. I saw there was a small community in I forget what town in the UK And they were talking about in their 10 years of gatekeeping they, they, It was a small community so they only transitioned some like 30 to 40 people males And three people who requested transition were refused on the grounds that their primary motivation was access to children. And it was like, that means the gatekeeping worked. (laughs) That means we, you know? Yeah. That seems an unusually high number, so I wouldn't keep that. You know, I don't think that's a common phenomenon at all for males to want to transition to gain access to children, but it's a possibility, and it's one type of thing that gatekeeping is supposed to be there to to you know to to work out yeah
3: what the trans community doesn't seem to understand too is is gatekeeping also protected the integrity and safety of other trans people you know if we allow more and more and more and more um of these people that are are using trans in order to do harm to others that's going to have an impact on us at some point because it, it, there's going to become become a, you know this critical mass moment where enough people say look this is this is BS and this, you know, this needs to be dismantled. I mean, that, what does, what will that mean for, for trans people that are just, you know, trying to live their life and, and be safe and, and get on with, get on with things and aren't, aren't trying to harm anybody else. Um, I I feel like the trans community is, that's a major blind spot for a lot of trans people that they just want to ignore that these things are happening. You know, like the guys on that forum that booted me off. It's like, they don't want, they they said, "Well, show show me the proof. It's not happening. Women aren't getting, you know, abused in prisons." It's like, "Well, yeah, they are. And if, if we're not um, part of that solution, it's it, it's a stain on us, and that's going to hurt us in the long run." So they're so they're they're so short sighted.
2: Yeah, and I can't. Well, and you it's a blind proof because like there, you don't. <laughs> it's just there's a we we live in a world full of males who behave badly. We live in a world the police exist. Uh, The criminal justice system exists, the prisons exist because of men behaving badly and committing crimes. We live in a world where crimes happen. Sexual crimes happen. There's just no disputing that. Men commit crimes against women. That's just the world we live in and they do things like dress up as women in order to commit these kinds of crimes. That is just a fact. So if you don't incorporate that into your worldview around men identifying as women, if you refuse to acknowledge that we live in a world where these things just naturally happen all the time. Then they're going to happen. They're going to be people saying that they're trans women to commit crimes to get into women's prisons. It's just insane to just start on the default
0: assumption that crimes don't happen. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. so much of the uh, the trans community is is um, uh, the FDMs um, kind of standing sticking up for the MTFs, right? Uh, yeah. And so so many of us don't understand the extent of of. Um, of male sexuality in the in the in the incidence of predation and so and mm-hmm. so many of these these um like in the in the community aaron you're talking about and i see it all over the place as well it's like if they they all just seem to think that if you put trans before something it immediately inoculates anything that person is doing it, it makes mm-hmm. them completely innocent by by that um, by that label of trans, and it and, yeah. and so it makes it makes you know sex crimes completely unthinkable. Only a transphobe would would brain would go there. Is is how
1: well what's what's uh, maddening from my perspective is that they apply that same black and white thinking in reverse and accuse so called turfs of thinking that every trans person is a child molester or every trans person is a you know it's a kinky sex thing. And and that's really not the case. I, like 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 Aaron said, that the majority of people who transition are just folks trying to live their lives, and I have nothing but respect for them. Like, but as you say, if you do zero gatekeeping, you don't get to preserve the category for those people. <laughs> you know.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's a post-hoc rationalization that somebody can declare themselves trans and then suddenly you have to see them as though they were always a trans person and that any accusation against them is an accusation against the trans community at large. That's so insane, you know? And you couple that with self-ID, the idea that I tell you whether I'm trans or not and you have no choice but to shut up and take it. I can't believe trans people would want to put up with that, that they don't have a choice who counts as within their own community or not, you know, within their own identity group. That's astonishing, yeah.
0: And speaking of these these strange uh, medical interventions that we're we're also calling trans, I'm sure you guys have seen this. Um, very, co- it seems to be getting more and more common. Is um, females who are having mast- double mastectomies, top surgery, and not retaining nipples, so it's just a completely um, flat, just neutralized chest. And then we're also seeing these. Um, I think they're all, they are calling them. Neutral, what is the word for it? Where it's, You're having uh, oh, yeah. gen, genitals, or something. Nullification. Yeah, genitals. Nullification. Nullification, thank you. Yeah, yeah. These these genital surgeries where it's completely eradicating any external uh, genitalia. Basically, you re- retain the ability to urinate, but it's basically completely barbie uh people. And so many people are opting into these surgeries. And it just, it, it defies belief that this is medically ethical on yeah. on any level. And so primate. because the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're primates. We are mammals. We're mammals.
2: Yeah. We're, we're abstracting our lives so much more and more with the online, you know, we spend so much more of our lives online, where it is abstract, uh, and not real, and physical, and material anymore, uh, that we're forgetting that we are adult primates. We are, you know, and we're, we're a sexually dimorphic species, we have sex drives and sex lives and sexualities, we have to go through puberty, because that's one of the most important phase of human development outside of the womb, you know, these, this is just, we're forgetting about the material reality of human existence. You touched on transhumanism briefly there, Canadian Aaron. Uh, like, this is crazy that we're allowing this to happen. And this is often very young people or people who are in states of mind because of, you know, they might be going through PTSD or something at the time when they're making these decisions. So it's deeply unethical. You know, I mean, it's like getting a face tattoo, but even more extreme because the damage is just so much more intense, you know? What these people are doing to their bodies, nullification, that's like way crazier than tattooing your face, you know? Yeah. And it's a bad decision. Anybody who chooses to get a giant tattoo all over their face is probably not, you know, it's probably either very young <laughs> or not in a great state of mind, I would think, <laughs> you know?
3: Yeah. Yeah. There was a keynote speech um, just on the transhumanist, Thread here in BC because the University of Victoria receives a lot of money, um, you know from a I can't remember the name of the, the family down in the states but, um, like the Pritzkers or something. Yes, yes, the Pritzker okay. family. So, so they're one of the recipients of large cash donations. Um, and they had a keynote speech by Martin Rothblatt, who was talking about transhumanism and and the you know the conference was called something like Moving Trans moving trans history forward or something and um so Mart- martin rothblatt who is developing these artificial intelligence and transhumanist technologies was the keynote speech speaker for that conference and received an honorary degree from the university for these ideas but she was so sneaky the way she presented that information was you know talking about you know, trans history and, and, you know, how that's, you know, liberated all these trans people. And then was talking about things like human interactions with technology, like contact lenses or, you know, I don't know, pacemakers and, and gave these examples. And then was talking, invented all these terms of new types of dysphoria that basically was saying dysphoria related to just the experience of being human and yeah. and and how, well, you know, we need just to take cues from what's happened with transgender and address these other types of dysphoria to to basically create this new superhuman and and interfacing humans with technologies. and And so it was using the rhetoric of the trans community and human rights and the word you know dysphoria, gender dysphoria, and and mutating that to to build a case for why we should really you know celebrate and move this idea forward that we can exceed what it means to be human you know, in order to distress in order to address the distress some people feel with the limitations of their humanity and that's i mean that's just going off into crazy land in in, in my opinion like and oh, and, and know, i don't i don't cult leader this person I, does have yeah.
2: a personal cult that they have started they run they they're the head of a new religious movement and they also believe that you know they believe in like full full-fledged personhood and citizenship for robots and things like, you know, and then they, they've built the artificial replica of their wife. Have you seen mm-hmm. this? You yeah. Know? And it's like, this is a, this is somebody who's just, yeah, this is a,
3: too very, much money. Yeah, and in I, a vivid I, imagination. I have
2: a white male who <laughs> has autogynephilia and has just, because he's just surrounded by yes men, you just cannot acknowledge, okay, I just, you know, I've, I've transitioned, but they, they've just lost their mind and decided it's because. The world is, you know, I can just transform into anything I want and blah, 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 blah. And no one's saying no to this person. You know, this is just uh, just surrounded by people just saying yes, because they're rich
3: and they're powerful. Yeah. I resent are you say, Robbie? a condition that I have being used for that purpose.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I was just going to say, I mean, I probably have more patience for the wacky sci-fi stuff than most, just because I feel like, sure, I can enter- entertain a thought experiment, no problem. But I think that the root of so much of this from the high level transhumanist uh, you know, conference goers down to the people with the anime avatars is mind-body dualism. It's the idea mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. You're, you're a ghost that rides around in a, in a robot. And I do not believe that there's good evidence for that. I mean, I think we see studies constantly like, oh, it turns out you can have really profound effects on your mood by changing your gut flora. That's wild. Uh you know I, it just the evidence suggests that we are our bodies our brain is part of our body it's all hooked up together you're not a ghost in a machine
2: I loved that movie ghost in the shell in the 90s it was like one of my favorite movies you know the idea of woman <laughs> who's modified her body so much she doesn't feel human anymore and then this artificial intelligence has developed spontaneously out of the internet so there's this like bodiless consciousness and then this consciousness that's lost its body and it come together i was like this shit's great pass the bong <laughs>
3: yeah it's one thing to think about it and, and entertain the idea right i mean i used to love reading science fiction as a kid and entertaining those ideas they were fun to think about but whether i actually wanted to see them actualized is is another thing
1: Yeah, well, and so often it leads people to say, uh, you know, today's policy position should be based on this theoretical science fiction conjecture, which doesn't make any sense. Like I've had people ask me, well, what if in the future, we can truly just like, flip a switch and instantly make you be whatever you want to be. And my answer is, I don't know. Because at that point, Uh, the definition of a human will no longer apply in the way that it applies now. Like if we figure out a different way to do sexual reproduction, then biological sex stops meaning what it means right now. But we have to figure out what we're going to do with all this stuff today and tomorrow, not in 3077 or whenever you think this is going to happen. Um, You know, it's like arguing about what pronouns we would use for the Borg, like kind of interesting, (laughs) I guess. I, uh, and how would we differentiate third person plural for hive minds versus third person singular for non binary? I don't know. Interesting, I guess, but it doesn't tell you what we're going to do with the question of women's prisons, say, tomorrow. Yeah, that's a good point. Well
3: said. Yeah, you know, and I don't know how much of this stuff we're going to be able to stop, but I would just like how the um, lesbian, gay, bisexual community is wanting to. To remove itself from the tea. I mean, I feel similarly to with the you know the, the transhumanist stuff. It's like you know what? I can't stop people from having wacky ideas or developing spending their money on developing technologies that I don't understand and agree with. I, I can't necessarily stop that. People have the right to to think the way they think, and including wacky ideas. But don't call it the same thing that that I am. Right? Like I, am just feeling that that desire to separate myself from queer theory it's like you know what you can you can believe in queer theory all you want it's you know it's 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 an academic academic discipline but don't oppose it upon me and say that my identity has to be built upon those theories and and or those those agendas
1: yeah it's like a religious group saying Sure, you you don't have to believe in our religion,
3: but we would prefer that you refer to
1: yourself as a non-believer and a heretic in all of your you know, It's like, yep. what, what are you talking about? This is your wacky thing. I don't have to do anything.
2: <laughs> true. What do you guys think is going to... What do you guys think the timeline of change is going to be? What do you think is coming down the pipeline?
0: I think the detransitioners are going to come... You know, they're just going to... It's going to... Um, with with the same rate that transition dramatically increased in the around 2015, I think we're going to see the backswing of that, and I think it's going um, to. I keep going back to this. I, I feel like it's going to collectively wake us up. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like, or or how that's going to actually roll out. I just I just feel like culturally we're going to wake up with the detransitioners. I could be entirely wrong, but that's just got mm-hmm. the sense I get personally
3: there's a few different groups that are, are working pretty hard on this i mean the parents are i think are also a huge force to be reckoned with i mean thousands of concerned parents worried about their kids seeing their kids getting swept up in the ideology and um so it's hard to say which which group will will kind of be the first to break through but i you know i think it's it's a collective effort but one of those groups may be the one that that finally breaks through and shatters it, whether it's detransitioners or parents suing on behalf of their kids, maybe.
1: Yeah, I think it's gonna I, I think it's the opposite. I think yeah. in twenty years we'll all be sitting around, uh, Artie and I having transitioned, talking about how
0: <laughs>
1: uh, other can rights are really <laughs> out there so
0: pessimistic. Uh, I,
1: no, yeah, I, the, no, no, re- I don't really think that. Uh, I do think that I, if 2020 and 2021 have taught me anything, it's that I have no idea what the future holds uh, about literally anything. So I don't know. I do think, especially with regard to questions of gatekeeping, detransitioners are just... It, it's impossible to argue for no gatekeeping when you listen to the stories of detransitioners. I just don't know how you could... Mm-hmm. hear some of the pain and physical trauma and suffering and say uh nope you should have been able to flip that switch from your home office like it just i don't think that there's any way that any empathetic human being can listen to those stories and not think we should have some some guardrails around medical transition
0: but we haven't had any and that's why i keep the, their numbers are just going to keep growing um yes we've got so many so many um really cr- Confused, traumatized teenage girls right now who are being being just just rubber stamped into transition, and they're going to they're going to snap out of it, and they're going to have been badly harmed. And I I really think these numbers are are going to overwhelm our senses. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I think I, I feel like it's going to be I feel like it's almost going to be like a situation where we realized what was going on in 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 third reich germany like i mean not to that extent obviously i'm not i don't want to make a Hitler hell holocaust comparison here but i really do think culturally like like the 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 west woke up to what was happening there we're going to do i think it's going to be a similar reckoning here coming up soon as like what we have done to children i think i, I think we'll collectively wake up from it as as just that 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 trauma Hitting home, I think is what's going. I don't think it's going to keep progressing. Um, that may sound optimistic in a very dark way, but I, but I, I, really think that we, we will be shattered out of this sometime within the next five to ten years.
2: I think so, but I think it's going to be a really bumpy ride because of the sunk cost fallacy. Because so many people have gone all in on it, and they're going to fight tooth and nail to. That's Brazil. true. So there's going to be this massive explosion of detransitioners and scandal around this, and then there's going to be this massive cornered. And corner group of people who are cornered who are not going to be uh, giving up easily, so I just feel like it's, turn, it's going to be like Stephen King's The Stand it's going to be this crazy, you know <laughs> it's, going to, it's just going to be very, very messy, very, very, very messy, because a lot of people invested so much into believing in this, and it's going to be very hard for them to reckon with the fact that it's a disaster, when it's going to at the same time become very obviously a disaster, yeah yeah,
3: okay I'll be keeping an eye on what's happening in the UK because I think they're further along than we are here in, in North America in understanding and bringing the conversation out into the public debate. You know, now that they're, um, and I think that's only been in the last year or so, if I understand correctly, that their mainstream media is starting to to kind of cover both sides of this. So, And that's not happening here in Canada anyway, maybe a little bit in the United States, but in Canada, there's a complete media blackout to to our side of this um but i think that's gonna that's gonna change but yeah i've been keeping a close eye on the uk just because they're they're probably about a year ahead of where we're at here in canada um Mm. but you're seeing a lot more violence you know a lot more out on the street demonstrations um so it's it's sad that that's probably what's coming right is that level of, of aggression on on different sides of this and
2: yeah, the We Spa incident was really shocking because of the violent yeah. protests and riots that came out. And then yeah. it was just a mix of, uh, you know, the religious right got involved and, you know, and then Antifa got involved and all these people. It's just becoming this polarized issue over what was essentially just, you know, a garden variety bloke who just has a long record of committing indecent exposure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just appalling. Yeah, it's really mm-hmm. scary. Where are you, Robbie? Are you in the States? Yeah,
1: I
0: am in Minnesota.
2: Oh, nice.
0: I and I should, I, I said um, that you know we're ways off here, but then I remembered that um, Jesse Single just reviewed um, Trans: When Ideology Meets Reality for yeah. the New York Times. So I mean, yeah. saying that I mean I, that's 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 a pretty mainstream um, move.
2: Um, yeah, I'm so, really excited about that book. I think that book did an extraordinary job. I see it as like the God Delusion for the trans debate. It like just lays out all the arguments cleanly and neatly from yep. beginning to end you know yep. and i just thought it was a slam dunk i think she did an extraordinary job laying it all out and it, it, i just really really love that book It just for my own personal mental health to organize all of this complex
0: stuff into a neat argument
2: i mm-hmm. just love it i've read yep. it twice
0: and i'm just so happy nice <laughs> <laughs> i'm a little bit more than halfway through it but it's like it's so so important that she wrote it because like that that was what got me so confused when when i started to uh, to to get back into the trans community around 2018 is the, the language that people were using seemed so reminiscent of my Christian evangelical upbringing um the kind of the monitoring and the and the it was just like very much got got religious vibes and and in that obviously you and you've talked about this a lot uh, Artie, is like and the more more we go, it just it just gets more and more clear at least for those within it those watching it um but people outside don't see it and she clearly laid this out this is an ideology this is Mm -hmm. not yeah um yeah yeah so anyway i I think that was just um, a great move and i and hopefully a lot of people are going to come to the same realization um we all have with yeah Thanks, with, well, yeah, Helen Joyce. critical mass of books, you know, we've yeah, got. Yeah.
2: And when there's a cluster of books all coming out at the same time, we've got Kathleen Stock's book. We've got Helen Joyce's book. We've got uh, uh, Abigail Schreier's book. I think there's another one or two coming out. Once there's a cluster of books, that means there's a conversation piece that can be had around uh-huh. it. Just like what happened with the new atheist movement, and there were like four books, you know. Hitchens had a book. Dawkins had a book. Sam Harris <laughs> had a book. All these people had books. And that creates a storm, you know. Suddenly, there's a whole so thing. Right. and I yeah. feel like that's exactly happening with this. There's all these books coming out at the same time, so there's going to be, you know, pieces. People will have to start talking about it. And so far, there's just a resistance to talking about it at all. But that's going to have to break. The New York Times covered <coughs> Helen Joyce's book. That's the beginning of North America starting to talk about this.
3: Yeah, and these mm-hmm. these books are are uh, hitting the the bestsellers lists too. So it's, they're not just obscure you know, books that are on a on a bookshelf collecting dust. People are are reading it in large numbers. So it's yeah, I agree with you. It's inevitable that once people are informed with that information, they're going to want to start to talk about it.
2: Yeah, there's a weird disconnect with the sort of ivory, not the ivory tower, but the sort of media elites in isolated in, you know, in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn hipsters and the San Francisco um, uh, tech people. They are all completely all in on gender identity ideology. And they're the ones in control of so much of the media. Like in Canada, our media, the CBC, won't touch this stuff. But the people on the streets are angry. And they're going out and they're buying these books and they're finding these books, even though they're not being advertised. Um, So that's a real sign that there's a disconnect, that there is a huge audience and there's a huge interest in discussing critically this issue. And the media elites, the Brooklyn hipsters, you know, when Jesse Singal wrote that review of Helen Joyce's book at the New York Times, the headline at Gawker was, Bigot Reviews (laughs) Bigot. oh amazing <laughs> it's like that's yeah. not how the world sees it you know this is like if you're in your little Brooklyn hipster bubble that's the way you see it that's not how millions and millions and millions and millions of people in minnesota and toronto and vancouver and washington state or whatever they, they're not seeing it that way you know yeah yeah, yeah and the i perfect am interested example- to
1: see if new york times publishing that review is an actual domino falling or if you know a week from now their new editor will be defenestrated and replaced by a Indigenous trans woman <laughs> or whatever.
3: Well, I was discouraged what happened with this, that 60 Minutes report that was supposed to be just dedicated to detransitioners. And then, you know, activists got wind of that. And, and before it even aired, they managed to to um, have them shift that. And there was a lot more, you know, I mean, the detransition element was still a, a feature in that, but they covered a range of different positions in the report. Mm-hmm. And activists were still unhappy with that um, just because they mentioned detransition at all. And I was so frustrated, like, for, for it seemed like weeks after that aired, 60 Minutes on their, all their social media accounts, story after story after story, pro-trans, 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 pro-trans to try to backpedal mm-hmm. and, and appease the, the activists. Um, so for every one mention of detrans, there has to be, you know, this I don't know, 20 mentions of everything positive about trans, And so we're not getting a balanced a balanced yeah. conversation happening out there.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. This weird anxiety around all of this. It's really strange. It's really strange because it's like, yeah, I don't know. It has something to do with uh, like lingering guilt over past homophobia in society mm-hmm. that people are trying to cleanse themselves of or something. It's the weirdest thing.
3: Mm-hmm. While at the same time letting actual homophobia get worse and worse and worse. Exactly, <laughs> it's crazy.
2: Every day I'm like, "What is going on? I'm losing my mind." You know, I, uh, you know, I quit my job at a gay bar because I can't work in a gay village when I've got my face out there talking about this stuff. You know.
0: Um, I was I was you know, wondering I was, about that. Okay.
2: Yeah, I was. It just got too hot to handle, and I was like, "No, oh, I shit do that anymore." Okay. So, like, this is like when you're in this when you're arguing about this stuff, it changes your life in every way. You know. Yeah crazy. I hope it resolves soon. And I'm involved in the LGB Alliance Canada, and that's really interesting too. Yeah.
3: Has that been gaining much momentum here in Canada? Uh, with, uh, with, the, with, with LGB Alliance?
2: With, yeah, with lay people, so to speak, yes. Yeah. I and mean, gay men and women are really starting to wake up and reaching out. But the media, no, we can't, re- we can't, they just won't bite, you know, they won't touch it. Yeah. So that's our big project, is to get the media to start talking to us, you know, we have some ins with uh, political figures, which is nice, quietly. But uh, you know, uh, they're at least listening. Um, yeah. <laughs> not doing anything, but they're listening. Um, <laughs> the media, no, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah,
3: sounds like you're you're facing the same frustrations we are with the uh, GD Alliance. Yeah, you know, we do have some people listening, but we, uh, we haven't broken through to the mainstream yet.
2: Yeah, it's wonderful though I, I, uh, that there are so many groups, there's the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, there's Post Trans, there's Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics, there's just like, there's like two dozen groups in the United States and Canada that have sprung up uh, to fight that fight this stuff, and these are all groups that have very official and friendly sounding names, you know. This isn't like, you know, the national front for heterosexual rights. This is like <laughs> groups that are like, <laughs> you know, we're very clearly concerned about the well-being of people who are gender nonconforming and who have gender dysphoria, you know, or who are gay and lesbian and same sex attractive. We are we're, we're very clearly, you know, intelligent, reasonable people who are talking about things like medical ethics <laughs> and, <gay rights laughs> and yeah. dysphoria, treatment for dysphoria. Yeah.
0: Mm. All right, gentlemen, should we wrap it up?
2: This has been a long one. I think we're at the 90-minute mark, is that right?
0: Yeah, I usually go about 90 minutes, I think. Oh, okay. Like, one and a half hours, usually. Yeah. yeah.
3: Once we get talking, it's it just...
0: Time flies. It, it
3: time <laughs> flies, yeah. Well,
0: it's yeah, so it's been really fun. About
2: it. Yeah, I'm so glad to finally meet you, Robbie.
1: Yeah, likewise. It, uh, obviously, I am still sort of tepidly guarding my uh, Doc's ability. Uh, I applaud those of you who use your real names and faces I increasingly am lazy about it like I use my real face on Twitter now I imagine if somebody wants to destroy me they could do that I would ask them to maybe DM me first we could check
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: negotiate some terms <laughs> I'm pretty reasonable I think.
0: <laughs> yeah thank you both so much for being on here this has been awesome yeah, I'm
2: really glad. Do you know when it's going to air? When are you going to drop it? Probably this evening, right?
3: Yeah. Oh. Yeah, geez. I try. I try to get it out as fast as Great. possible. Yeah. Great. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, to you both. It's thanks for agreeing to to be on our on here and and talk to us about this.
1: Yeah, anytime. It was a pleasure.
2: Yeah. A uh, couple of Americans, couple of Canadians, couple of Arabs. <laughs> <Americans. laughs>
0: Uh,
3: <laughs> uh. I don't know why the word name Aaron is is kind of popular with the FDMs.
0: So. it it, it, it turns out to be and i think it is because uh because of the uh the gender neutrality upon hearing it my my birth name was erin aaron so it was very easy to just go yeah yeah so so it's just like oh my parents wouldn't they were going to name me aaron either way so and then you guys know that story of my my little brother who who passed away his middle name was michael so i just adapted his middle name is like honoring his so but then i found out that aaron is a very common name um uh, and i think it is because of that gender neutrality i'm not sure if that's Hmm. Um, well,
1: something I would really like to see. I apologize for dragging this out. It's the Midwestern goodbye, but uh, <laughs> I would love for someone to take the data for most popular baby names and then take somehow get the data for most popular chosen transgender names and see if, like, typically when someone chooses their new name, if the same trend is in play. Like, I feel like I see a lot of very young trans people who are like Owens and Skylers and Quinns these days, and perhaps Aaron was the that of your or it, I don't know but it's Maybe. I'm too lazy to do any kind of research, but that's my thought that's
0: a very good good question yeah yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> All right all right. <laughs>
0: Nobody's volunteering
1: to go do the research fine Jesus
0: that really would we'll <laughs> okay. All
1: right well thank you both. this has been really
0: good. Yeah, yeah. thank you guys Thank you Thanks so much.